Builder Career Pod, brought to you by Transition Solutions. I'm Kevin Fandel, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Welcome back for part two of my conversation with Michael Pollack. This is episode 39. Part one of our conversation is episode 38. In this follow-on discussion, we talk a little bit about the larger aspects of working in a restaurant. We talk about the role that crowd noise and acoustics and sound levels and house music plays in the dining experience. We talk about the role that lighting plays also in the dining experience. Uh, we touch upon the whole BYOB, cork fee, how wine is handled in different parts of the country and in different restaurants, i.e. people bringing in their own bottles of wine and how that plays out. Again, a little broader set of topics, a little more far-reaching, uh, but I think you'll find it very interesting. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We're back with Michael, um, having had a great conversation in part one of the episode about uh, the restaurant business and his role as a front-of-house server and captain at a number of different establishments. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the less directly career-related aspects of the hospitality profession. Um, so I'd like to get your thoughts on uh, if we if we think of a restaurant as having a food element, a service element, and an ambiance element, what's a restaurant's thinking about how to handle noise in the restaurant? Yeah, it's it, it, it can be a very experience-shaping quality of a restaurant. Um, in fact, you know, we discussed before that uh, I worked a couple of jobs ago at Rialto's for, for quite some time. And actually, I started when there was sort of a little bit of change in ownership. It was Jody Adams was one of the partners in a group that owned it, and they it was an amicable split, and then she took over uh, the sole ownership, and there was a big remodel, and a big part of that remodel was actually to put in uh, noise-absorbing ceiling panels, uh, curtains, because they mm-hmm. will they do too, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, absorb noise as well. Uh, and I, I think about uh, there must have been uh, an issue with the old design. Um, yeah, you hear it a lot, uh, and I think it... it I don't want to sound ageist or, or anything. No, no. But it is an issue, I think, you know, the with older people, and it's probably, um, they don't, you know, I can say I'm definitely getting into this category, too, that I don't like loud things, is I'm much more sensitive to noise than I used to be. Well, that, that's, and, I mean, absolutely, um, it, it's it's much more prevalent. The louder places are the younger places. It's got the hubbub, the vibe. Yeah. Um, and that's harder for the older folks. Yeah. So you're saying that in the Rialto change of ownership, um, the the person that became the sole owner made a conscious effort to yeah. deal with what she had already perceived. And you were there during that change of ownership. I was I was hired during the change. During so the I really change. don't okay. know what it was like uh, before. Okay. okay. Um, you know, I just have to assume it must have been an issue, um, and it, it was it was a it was a definite effort to reduce the noise Hmm. it's an it's an interesting thing because in in a restaurant you know it's a it's can be a very difficult balance you know i've worked in a restaurant you know that was i remember one manager i had when you know it was a slower night or earlier in the night to say we have to get the energy up because it can really kind of especially you know i think in a finer dining situation a lot of people may come in as sort of a little bit nervous and uncomfortable and, you know, minding their P's and Q's and making sure they're, and noise level can certainly be one of them. And there's only a few tables in the restaurant. Mm. 
you know, everyone will hear everything, and that can really, I don't know. It can be unsettling. Yeah, it can make yeah. people uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and especially when they're already in a situation where they may not know exactly how to act and expecting and mm. to be this formal dining situation. Um, but, you know, we talk about getting the energy up and, hey, let's talk and have fun, you know, and, and make sure people are having a good time. And that's what it's all about. Mm. And, the you know, the choice of music and the mm. volume of the music that's can true. be a very uh, mm. important part of that. And in fact, you know, it's it's funny where I work now. The, the you know the owners ch- chose the music, and I don't think it's changed since they opened. And some people it can you know some of the songs drive some people crazy. And it's funny, I actually hardly notice it. I notice it at the beginning of the night and at the end of the night because when there are less people there, I hear it more. When it, the place is full, and I, you know, you can speak to it. I don't That's, think it gets really loud. That can certainly be dependent on who is in the restaurant. People are louder than others, right? And right. we have the restaurant right. I, where I currently work. It has one table that has uh, the capacity for, you know, the only other table we have is five. So anything more than that goes on this one table, that pasta table. Mm. And if you have a large group that have loud people, it's going to be loud, and right. there's really nothing right. you can do about it. That, that's a good point. We were we were there recently, and um, I don't really remember the music. You know, it was the restaurant was pretty full. It was, I would say, eighty percent, ninety percent capacity when we got there, and totally full uh, for the balance of the evening. Um, and the owners don't try and have the music kind of keep up with or override that. They don't at all. And, and I think the music there really is meant to just complement the atmosphere when there's a minimal number of people. But once there's a half to more than half a house full it's it's the vibe of the place and it was always easy to talk at the table yeah. even with even with the place full right i was which is uh, i mean it's it's very important and something that's a little more real time um is lighting mm-hmm. what's the thinking of lighting in in restaurants these days um i i, I think that you know is absolutely again on on what you're going for what your concept is we were actually, Julia was voted a couple of years ago most romantic restaurant in Boston, for, in, in Boston wow. Magazine, in Boston. Boston. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, which was funny to me. Sure, it can be romantic. I don't know if that's really what we're going for, but mm. sure, that's part of it. Mm. But I think, you know, having candles on the table, something like that can be really help with that. Um, you know, you were yeah. saying we have these great electric candles that's that, right that uh, that's right. you uh, do <laughs> that, that really the most re- like the most real realistic thing. battery powered <laughs> um uh votive votive yeah. designed uh yeah. battery powered candles and there they was look a, absolutely real right? and there was a week or two that we had nothing on the tables and it really did oh. change the atmosphere in there yeah. so and, and it's funny i'm so it's been it's been almost it's been three years you've been there um we didn't. I didn't see it recently when when we were there. I didn't need to do it, but I assume you've never seen a cell phone light, a cell phone flashlight. Oh no, we see them all the time. All the time. All the time. Wow. And I mean, I think you know that's again a balance you, that's difficult to strike. If you want to have a, 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 I mean, you know, if you're eating a really bright restaurant, it's oh, it's not as enjoyable. 
Right, right. Obviously, easy to read the menu, and I am very quickly becoming one of those people that need some extra light to read. Right. Uh, much to my chagrin. But I am surprised, having, like I say, having been there, I am surprised that you see it uh, at, at all because I didn't get that. I didn't need it, and um, I didn't get that sense of the place. We were at a restaurant uh, in Beacon Hill a couple of months ago where there were there must have been three or four at, at the same time using cell phones to light the menus and i just wonder if management sees that and says whoops or they they're fine with it because it buys them a larger goal of a more intimate more quote-unquote romantic atmosphere so. yeah yeah i mean i think most restaurants will have you know different switches and and have it clearly marked where it's supposed to be uh and you know when we're setting up so we can see things better, you know, generally the, the lights are as on full. Or exactly. Oh, okay. So, you okay. know, you can see all the, you know, little imperfections that need to be perfected. A uh, little more nuts and bolts, I guess. Um, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, the primary source of income in the in the wait staff and the server businesses tips? Um, I, I hear traces of some places thinking about going to more salary-based. I don't know if it's catching on or it was a, an idea a year or so ago and, and died or whatever. But what's, what's the common thinking about pay for, for servers? Yeah. So when you pool tips, a pooled house, as, as it's called, that's exactly what it is. It's sharing with everybody front of house. Okay. So it's not pooling just among servers. There are different ways to do it, but okay. generally the support staff is is always going to be included in that tip pool because they don't get money directly. That's true. Right. That's right. Um, so that's that's the way. Generally speaking, they make a higher hourly. It's going to probably still be below minimum wage wow. because they get their majority of their money from tips. Um, but okay. it's higher than a server. You yeah. know, maybe yeah. you know, say five or six dollars an hour as opposed to three dollars an hour. Wow. Um, yeah. So I mean, it is. 99% of the money I make is wow. is uh, is from tips and has been for a long time. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny. I thought, as I, I think you mentioned before, but I lived in San Francisco for a long time. Mm. Never had worked in a pooled house. Kind of couldn't imagine it. Only worked in one restaurant that had, uh, there was an upstairs. And so depending on how, what night of the week it was, there was either one, two, or three servers that worked that upstairs section. But if there was more than one, they pooled. Oh. So, okay. yeah. but just that part of the restaurant. Um, but again, as I said, I, I couldn't imagine working in a pooled restaurant at that point. Since moving back to Boston, I have worked in nothing but pooled houses and honestly can't imagine going back the other way. Oh. Um, you know, I, I mean, there are pros and cons, I think, you know. Uh, For a server, what would be a pro of working in a pooled environment? Lack of competition. Right, you're not. It's not cutthroat about who gets what tables, and you know, um, I want, you know, not only more tables, but I want these specific guests because I know they're big spenders and big yeah, tippers yeah. or that sort of thing. Oh. Um, and that can really exist, you know, especially you know talking to the host or maitre d and um, getting in their good graces and maybe even tipping them on the sly, even though when it's there are some restaurants that do tip the hosts and, and maitre d's. Mm. Uh, I would say most don't. Um, but, you know, there can certainly be a little under the table for it to give me the best tables. Mm. Um, mm. But And so that sort of thing. Um, where it's funny, the, the other side of that coin is in a pooled house, uh, you know, where I work 
at, at Julia is a little bit different because we're so small and we're all kind of there insane. But bigger restaurants will have people will leave a little bit earlier um, mm. because, you know, there'll be a designated closer. Yeah. yeah. I, I've, had, I've had servers say, you know, I don't, I don't want to rush you. I'm leaving shortly. Can I leave yeah. the bill? Or if not, you know, you, someone's yeah. going to bring you the bill. You know, okay, yeah, yeah I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. those are, and those, that's not necessarily a pooled house. They could be still just individually their tips. And, and, you know, hopefully that would still go to your server, but they know they're finishing up so they can go. Mm. Um, and so, you know, but in those kind of places in a pooled house, you're kind of thinking, well, I don't want any more tables. I got to make the same money regardless, so I, you know, would rather not have any more tables so I can go home. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, in an unpooled house, you know, depending, some people still just want to go home, have, be done with their shift. And actually, in the restaurant I worked at, the I guess it's the longest of my life. It was eight years. This place that I worked in in San Francisco. You know, a lot of people would be like that, and I'm like, I'm there. I'll take. Give me, give me the tables. I'll take them. I'm, hmm. you know, an extra half an hour for a, you know another sixty bucks or so, whatever it might be. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so and they were you know certainly different different attitudes towards that. Um, so do you worry about in that scenario taking more tables? You have to have a sense within yourself that you can still cover them adequately yeah right right yeah. right okay okay and i mean i think that's the biggest pro to a pooled house is that there you're incentive you shouldn't even if everybody's working for their own tips you should work together ideally mm-hmm. but you have incentive to in a pooled house you know uh, that's uh true. That's true. um you know where I'm currently working, the the it's very small and you know it's an old building, so it's a little bit, especially this time of year, in front of the restaurant's a little bit colder. It's harder to keep warm. Mm. A lot of people don't want to sit there until those are the only tables left. So it often will happen that that they don't see those tables, so they get you get them all at once and you get really busy. And to take care of guests the way you should, and you know, we don't even have to. Most of the times we don't have to even say anything. People, we all just know. And everybody else will help out in that situation, nice. the nice. one who needs it. Yeah. But, you know, again, as I said, you know, even if a, if a house is not pooled, you, that should happen. But it, it doesn't always clearly end. Exactly. And the incentive is there exactly. with a pooled arrangement. Yeah. Um, you mentioned San Francisco. Quick question. Any, any general kind of characteristic differences between restaurants in San Francisco and Boston? And I've traveled back and forth to both places and uh, but what's your take on on the two places in their restaurant communities um, you know San Francisco's bigger mm-hmm. I think it's just uh, uh, it's a bigger city well I don't know maybe I don't know it's it seems it to me too and I, I've been there I've been there a lot but I'm yeah. born and raised here in Boston so I think but, the I think the restaurant scene in San Francisco is probably just more uh, has been around longer, is, is more ingrained, is, is just has a longer history of fine dining and, and you know, food as a culture there. I think it's a little bit newer to the level we're at at Boston, which is really exciting. It's been growing for a long time. I think it's a, a, a real hub yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of, of, yeah. Uh, of, of the restaurant, uh, of, of what's the trends and, and, and really Best practices, emerging practices. Yeah, yeah. it, it yeah. absolutely is. But I think that is a fairly new phenomenon where San Francisco, I think it's been that way for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing was was uh, the, the produce in, 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 in California is right. so much more available. 
year round or at least longer, longer seasons. That's true. That's true. I, I'll never forget my uh, uh, my my grandmother coming to visit and just being overwhelmed at the grocery store. You know, she was born and raised in Philadelphia, and just it was it was you know thrilled by the choices and the vibrancy of the colors and um, you know yeah. this was I don't know twenty twenty. 25 years ago or so but also the culture I think around wine um, in California is it's coming around here too for sure um, but it's just a different I mean you're so close in San Francisco to the Napa Valley right. to Sonoma Valley uh, and I think it's a little bit you know some of the you know also just the, the, the laws uh, around it you know we're most of them are gone, but they're still we're based on Puritan laws and the oh, yeah. laws that yep. you and I both yep. grew up with. And um, actually, at my first job, Victoria Station, I can remember so well working brunch on Sunday and everybody watching that clock tick <laughs> to noon because you couldn't buy a drink in a restaurant until noon. That's and, true. Um, right. You know, much more things were are, are much. Uh, more open in San Francisco about that, you know. And On that note, um, and having been there, the in San Francisco, the whole practice of BYOB, yeah, you pay a cork fee and all that, but yeah. it's it's much more prevalent for um, a whole range of restaurants to have a, to have a full and and well stocked wine program. But if you have a favorite wine and you want to come in and pay, you know, five, seven, or ten dollars corking fee, um, or more perhaps now, it's been a while since I've, I've done that in San Francisco. Uh, how does that? How does a server or a captain? What does a server or a captain think of that practice? You know, it's it's. <sighs> It's interesting. I mean, it's something as you know that I certainly did all the time uh, when I when I lived there. Um, it's it's you know as far as I know, I don't know all the intricacies of the laws, but it's most you know it's different from city to city, town to town. Um, the laws are different, but it's it's not allowed most places around here. No, around um, here it isn't at all, yeah. and it's much more prevalent in at least oh, yeah. San Francisco, much more prevalent, yeah, and it's absolutely. not even looked down on um, as you know being cheap or no. trying to you know it's 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 people really know their wines out there to a larger extent than here perhaps um but so does that does that affect your attention to a table uh, out there out there how, how did when you were out there and it was an accepted practice but it has a clear financial impact on the tab and the bill it does yeah it does and i think it, you know it it, it really is uh, uh, depending on the situation, you know, because there are people that will bring in a bottle, a $10 bottle of wine because they don't want to spend $40 on the list. Mm. And then there's, you know, other people who are going to bring in a bottle that's 20 years old and that's really rare. And it's because they want know, to enjoy it at, with, with that food at that place. Absolutely. And it's something that the restaurant may not offer. Mm. Well, mm. most, I think that's a typical thing. You can't, a restaurant's not going to allow you to do that bring in a bottle that they have on their list oh just, even in san francisco yeah just ah, because okay. it's hey we sell this yeah why are we going to okay let you bring it in for you know yeah yeah okay know, that's a good that's a good clarification a subtlety clarification for me but yeah. i think yeah, yeah most people are that are it's it's something that is a special bottle whether it's something older or something that's just a small production hard to find rare um something like that mm -hmm. so you know it's been a while um, since I, I had that 
experience yeah. on a regular basis. Um, but if memory serves, I think most of the time it was it was it was pleasant. You know, yeah, it will affect the bill a little bit. Um, but I think the most people that w- are bringing them in are, like I said, doing it because it's a special bottle that yeah. they, they wouldn't be able to yeah. purchase from the restaurant or even in that category. Um, and it usually will spark a conversation, and the, the people are knowledgeable about wine. And if mm. if the server or whoever else, manager, other people are so inclined, then you can start talking about wine. Mm. I think more often than not, they'll actually often often offer tastes, which is really appreciated. Um, so, so how so? Who will the customer? The guest, yeah, the guest will, will offer, offer a taste to the, to the, to the server. server. Nice, especially if it is something rare, yeah, or old, yeah, yeah. Um, which is you know wonderful because that's how you learn. Exactly, there's no other way to learn about wine than I mean, you can read, sure, but yeah. tasting it is yeah. really really important. Um, so that was always very enjoyable, and I think yeah. people, you know, again. Are more that did bring them in were more knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Um, wine is more important. They know about the whole dining experience, so they know that okay, this is on the list would be a hundred dollars. So I should probably tip on it, even though they're charging me twenty-five. Well, there's an extra seventy-five dollars. I should probably leave a little extra. Nice. I'd say that. Nice. Yeah, it doesn't always happen, but I think yeah, it, it, yeah. it certainly does. Yeah. Um, I guess one last thing on wine. I was uh, I was always impressed. Uh, I don't remember knowing about it here but some places some restaurants out in san francisco when a, a regular patron you call would call him a vip i'm sure would make a reservation uh the house knows their wine of choice and the house would open a red wine a half hour or so before their sure their arrival so yeah. you've heard of that practice also sure okay. yeah absolutely okay. yeah yeah no at julia we do that for certain people those oh, okay. wines that uh, that we know um uh yeah actually what's our general manager one of his best skills is knowing a glass of wine that someone had uh, you know and I I don't know how he does it it's not my in my skill set yeah. remembering that specifically but um, but yeah if we know someone that knows this wine and likes it to be open and breathe and even decanted beforehand we'll do that I don't think it happens as often um, but yeah but sure it absolutely happens good Michael Pollack talking about things that are a little bit less directly related to careers and job skills and the way the place runs, but uh, but very much a point of interest for our listeners. So again, Michael Pollack, thank you very much. It was uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Great.